we're going to hand over to him. We're going to take a little bit of a wander through some historical stuff. And please don't assume that that means that history is boring. I was never a, a, a student of history, but there are some things that I have always, I found absolutely fascinating. Does anyone here do cryptic crosswords and understand how a cryptic crossword clue works? Okay. Now, if I was to say that the title of my sermon this morning, if I was to put it in a, put it in a cryptic crossword thing, it would come out like this. It would be from about minus a Roman thousand. From about a minus a Roman thousand. There, there is actually something in there, but it's, it was, that was just for fun, if you do cryptics. Now, hmm? you come up with the right answer. Yeah. It's F-O-R, four. But never mind. The purpose of what I want to say this morning, I've got two, from is a four-letter word, about means you twist the letters around, Minus a Roman thousand, which is M. So you take the M off and you're left with the F, the O and the R. And that's, so, yeah. Actually, the real title is Christ did not die to save us from our sins. He died to save us for, and the for will just come a bit later. In other words, Christ died to save us for a purpose. There's two things I want to say to start off with, and they're not going to sound like they're actually related to what I want to talk about, but there is a purpose in that. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come around your word, I just pray that you'll keep my mind on track, Lord, that I won't sort of wander off into things that fascinate me and, and leave everyone else behind. Father, I want to pray this morning that you will speak to us through your word. Father, I offer up my mouth, I offer up my lips, I offer up my tongue. Lord God, that this morning, that that would be something that would speak your words to hearts that are prepared in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. As we approach Easter, we're looking at something that goes to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. And I can remember a stage when I struggled with the Easter message, not because I didn't get a grip on Jesus dying and rising again, but in Matthew, I've got to find the right spot now, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39 and 40, it says this, it says, but he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be no, no sign given to them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For, Jonah. for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
Now, in the history of that, I struggled so much. I was going Friday to Sunday. If you count Friday, you count Sunday, and you've got Saturday, well, there's your three days. But it just didn't ring true because when the disciples went to the tomb on the Sunday morning, Christ was already risen. And on the Friday, he was supposedly hanging on the cross. But it says there Christ's own words were, he will be three days and three nights. And I'm going, how does this, you know, what's wrong with the Bible? It shouldn't be wrong. But most of us don't understand the history of the Jewish Passover feast. How many Sabbath days are there in a week? One, that was their Saturday. So when the Bible turns around and says that Christ was crucified the day before Sabbath, we automatically think Friday. However, on the feast days, they had more than one Sabbath. And particularly at Passover, they didn't just have two. In Passover, they had three Sabbath days in a row, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So the day before Sabbath was actually Wednesday. Now, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape or form that we go to the government and say to them, we've got to make good Wednesday and have a whole week off. Just as Christians, if we can look at the history of these things and understand that there is truth in the word of God, sometimes it's a bit hidden that we don't understand it, we don't see it. The other bit that's historical I want to just go to is in Revelations, and I do think I gave you the wrong bit. I did. I said, I said chapter 8, verse 13. It's chapter 13, verse 8. He's a good man, isn't he? <laughs> and in this, in this part... In Revelation, it says, And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him. This is talking about the beast. This is the end time prophecy stuff. Whose names are not written in the book of the life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. See, we often think of Jesus sort of almost coming as an afterthought. Jews didn't work, so we'll throw in a Jesus. And so many times as that the modern Christian church is looking back and trying to go back to the natural. God the Father had something planned from the very beginning. See, the Jews' rejection of God didn't take God by surprise. They, God knew about it. And from the very beginning, his plan was to bring about something that would set people free to worship him. Okay, now, that's some background information. Park that, and I want to get to what I wanted to talk about. Jesus died on the cross, and we remember that. But then on the Sunday morning, they went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. Jesus rose again. He came back. He was now alive, but he was not alive in the sense that you know, we're alive now. He was alive in a spiritual format that was tangible to those who saw him and talked with him. What did he die for? 
I love the fact that we can look at the gospel and we can take it to a simple-minded child. And when I say that, I am not being rude, but when I was a kid, I actually did Sunday school teaching in a home for mentally handicapped children. And when you, in this situation, we were able to present them with the gospel that Jesus Christ died, that they might be forgiven. They got it. They got it. And they took Christ and they accepted him. I've also met people who were PhDs and absolutely brilliant who would then go into the Bible and actually devour it and find stuff in there that would have us reeling. I find a lot of gear in here that I can't explain to people. But it fascinates me. doesn't matter how deep I delve, there's always another depth to go. But Christ has given us this message that was one, one of love. Old man bending over, sorry about that. It was one that was so easy to understand, but it's also one that says to us, Dig, 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 dig deeper. Paul, when he was talking to one of the churches, he, he, he invited them to be as the Bereans were and go and dissect the word, make sure that what was being told to them was true. So this morning, one of the things, I can't focus on everything, but one of the things that Christ died Four was to prepare his people. Just somebody throw me out. What, what did Christ die for? Some things. What did he do for us? Someone give me an idea. See if you can come up with the same one I did. Yeah, he saw, that, was, that was the from. But you're forgiven because you weren't quite here at that point. He saved us from our sins, but his main purpose was to save us, was to prepare us for something. Anyone got a clue? Restoration of the Father. That's a very good answer. Anyone else? Salvation. Anyone else? Yep. Anyone else? Yes. All of these things are good, but no one's come up with the same one I wanted to talk about. But that's fine. It just goes to the word is deep. I believe that one of the things that Christ died to save us for was a life of victory. As soon as we have accepted Jesus Christ as our saviour, we paint a target on our back. You say, I am going to reject Satan, I am going to reject sin. And the first thing you do as you come across Paul saying, the good that I would I do not and the good that I would not I do anyway, which is a really complicated saying is we stuff up. But Christ doesn't want us to stuff up. He wants us to be rise up above and to come to that place where we walk in victory. But a target on our back that means that the enemy is out to get you. 
Now, that might sound like it's a downer, but if we are prepared, then there is no issue and there is no problem. We just need to be prepared. People are going to throw things at us, which is the only reason I mentioned the three days. Somebody can come at you and turn say, well, Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. And I've actually heard people use that as an argument to say that it's a whole load of, what's that word you're not allowed to say? Codswallop. Just because of that. But the thing is, if we are forewarned, we are forearmed. And if we know, we can actually explain. We have to be at a place where we can apologise for the scripture. Now, that sounds like... But biblical apologetics isn't saying, oh, I'm sorry, the Bible's wrong. Biblical apologetics is actually a discipline which explains the truth of the gospel. And here's where we get back to history. Scott's not here this morning, so I can't turn around and ask him how a soldier gets dressed. But in Roman times, a soldier didn't get dressed in exactly the same way as a modern soldier does. They fought with spears, they fought with swords, they carried shields and they had on bronze armour. And if we are going to stand up to the enemy, we need to say to Jesus, Lord, you have died that I might have life But now that I have life, I need to be able to have the protection that you have given to me. And then he says to me, then put on the whole armour of God. Put on the whole armour of God. Now, I'm going to quickly go through the armour. I'm not going to do it quite the way it says in Ephesians. If you can just put that one up and then people can read that. Not that bit, sorry. Um, It's verse 11. 11 and 12. I'm going to start at the top simply because it's easy then. It just gives me a continuity. But it says, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God did not leave us defenceless. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, verse 13, and sorry, it was actually goes down to verse 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, they start off with your loins, 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 your loins girt about with the belt of truth. I'm going to start at the top and just go from the head. So I'm just going to, um, I'm not changing this, I'm just explaining some things. What's in our head? What's, what's in your cranium? I just, like, this is a real simple question. A brain. You know, and it is the neurons and all this sort of stuff in our head, in our brain, that is our our memories. But it is also a place 
where we think. And when the enemy comes to attack us, one of his simplest tricks is, are you really saved? Has anyone ever felt, anyone else ever felt like that where you go, mate, am I? My wife came to the Lord completely differently to me. I grew up in a family that was God-based, Bible-based. And yes, I can remember as a teenager making a final decision, but from a little kid, sometime, you know, I prayed that prayer. I can't remember when. But Anne can tell me the date. The 11th of August, 1974, Anne was at a scripture union camp that she went to simply because she wanted to get out of school for a day. But at that camp, God spoke to her. And on that day, the 11th of August, she asked Jesus Christ to be her Lord and her Saviour. Now, the helmet of truth is something that we put on over our thinking. We put it on over our head, our spiritual head here. Why is it important that we know that we are saved? And I tell you, if you don't know your own testimony, then sit down, think about it, write it down if you have to, but get it firmly fixed up here. As Christians, we always say, oh, I don't need it in my head, I need it in my heart. This time around, this is something we need to have firmly fixed in our head. I am saved. I can be absolutely definite that I am saved because when the enemy comes in and wants to attack me and wants to bring me down, wants to tear me down and start to raise those doubts, you can stand up and you can say, on that day, I asked Jesus Christ to be my saviour and he is faithful and he is just. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we get it right and we put on the helmet of salvation, we turn around and the devil comes up and goes, are you really? You go, I am. I am. And if you think that you're alone... Have another think. Go right back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had just partaken of the fruit. And what was it that the devil came? Did the Lord really say? His question was one that tackled them up here in the brain box. Put on the helmet of salvation and know, know, know that you are saved. Years ago, Anne and myself were doing some wool classing and there was a young lass doing it with us who was a Jehovah's Witness. The problem for her was that in that class, the only person that wasn't full-on, born again, hot for God, was her and the lecturer. Boy, did we give them a hard time. But her response when we were talking about salvation which is well I can never know but I hope and she couldn't understand that we could say we know that we are saved by Jesus Christ 
We need that helmet. You know, and when you come down a level and you've got your thinking straight, then we come to the breastplate. When we put on the breastplate, now this is not scientific because the breastplate, what does it protect? This side, the heart. And the non-scientific bit is that traditionally we think of the heart as being the seat of the emotions. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we put on the helmet of salvation. Yes, I know when I'm saved. We need to be dressed with a righteousness that is going to protect our heart. When all is said and done, there are so many times when we can get drawn away, we can become emotionally unstable. We can follow, particularly, look, guys, this is one that's really, you know, if you're on your computer in your room and stuff comes up, this is something that can tear at your emotions. My wife doesn't look like that. Why can't my wife be pretty like that? You watch stuff on TV. No, I'm, I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about the sort of stuff that can happen and your emotions can be disturbed. And you know what, is, what I find is almost scary is that they've had men trapped in a voyeuristic attitude for so long but they are now getting women trapped exactly the same way. We need to understand that our emotions can be ripped around and torn around, but we need to be righteous. We need to have the righteousness of God. But, you know, the Bible tells me that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. This is not something that I hope for. This is something that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has already put in place for me. I am the resurrection. No, he is the resurrection. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, it's not my goodness, but it is what Christ has done for me. And it means that when something happens, you know, much to my discredit, Anne went to bed one night and I was flicking around the TV. Now, I'm fascinated by the sound of other languages. I love the sound. Like Spanish is such a musical language. I, I just, there's something about it. I, I really get find it fascinating. And Anne got up and she came out and says, what are you watching? And I said, I've got absolutely no idea. I'm just reading the subtitles. It was on SBS and they were talking and I was just reading. And she said, I think you better turn that off. I was completely unaware of the picture. I was watching the bottom lines. And it was a porn thing on, on, on SBS. You know, we need to be aware of what's going in. The words at that stage hadn't given it away. But it was, just, it was just one of those weird things, you know. But we need to make sure that we are rising up to a level where we are trying to live in a righteous 
frame of mind. We need to be rejecting the things that are put in front of us and that are spoon-fed to us to try and tear us down. The enemy will do anything he can to bring us low. If we drop down just a little bit further, we say, it says, put on the belt of truth. Now, the soldier, when he put on the belt of truth, it wasn't the belt of truth. It was just a big belt that he had. Now, the Roman soldiers, I mean, anyone completely aware of how a Roman soldier got dressed? He didn't wear pants. He wore a little skirt. Now, in battle, they were running around. They were doing, they were active. And a little skirt falling down around your ankles could actually trip you up, which would leave you vulnerable to death. So what they would do was that they would get their skirt and pick it up and tuck it into their belt so that it stayed up and it did not encumber their legs. Now, how does that affect us? Well, I have seen politicians tell pork pies. And then three minutes later, somebody raises something and they're going... There was, they have got caught out. They have been tripped up by their lies. The trouble is, it's not only politicians. How many times have any of us ended up embellishing the truth and turning it into something that was less than true? How many times have we told something inadvertently, not meaning to be really bad, but you just, you know... A little white lie and then later on you find out that, hang on a minute, I just fell on my face because I got tripped up. Even in the secular world there are people who will tell you that always tell the truth because it's easier to remember than what lies you've told. But the thing is we need to walk in truth. We need to walk in such a way that our words are not going to trip us up. We need to walk in such a way that the enemy can't come up and go, yeah, gotcha, you said this and it wasn't right. We need to have the belt of truth so firmly part of our life that it does not encumber our progress from day to day. It is such an important thing. Let's face it, our Saviour Jesus, he turned around and he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. As we go down, we come to the feet the Roman soldier, he had on sandals with hard leather soles, treated in such a way that they were impervious to spears and arrows that might be on the ground. And your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We can find so much about feet in the Bible. We're told, you know, everywhere you walk, 
how beautiful are the feet of him, all these sorts of things. But, you know, when they walked, they had to be prepared for where they put their feet. In that old style of battle, they'd always start off with arrows being fired in big volleys from both sides. By the time they got to meeting in the middle, there were arrows strewn everywhere. They were sharp. They were designed to kill. They were designed to penetrate. They needed to be prepared so that where they walked, that they, they, they weren't hindered. They could keep walking without having to worry about where they put their feet. The Bible tells us quite clearly that the, the barbs of the enemy are there to trip us up. I'm not going to dwell too much on that one, but we need to be prepared in the gospel of peace. I can see. I hate microphones. I need two hands sometimes. The two hands, they had things. Now, I know that there are some people that are left-handed, but by and large, it talks about the right arm of God being a strong and a powerful thing, but it's, it said, with their right arm, they, they carried their sword. For a Christian, there's your sword. There's your sword. From memory, the sword of the Spirit. When we pick this thing up, we need to understand that it is something that is defensive, it is something that is also an attack weapon. We can use this to stave off the enemy. This is why I hear Jake say once in a blue moon, or more often, read your Bible. See, it's, also, it's all good and well and good to have it in written form. And to tell you the truth, I have got so many different translations of the Bible sitting on my shelves. I don't read them all. I've got it on my computer. And these days, if you want to look for a particular verse, you can just go straight to Google. But the thing is, if I go to Google and just find one verse, then I miss so much. I miss so much. We need to get the Word of God in our heart. We need to get it in our head. We need to get it so that when things begin to happen around us, we go... Hang on a minute. Christ said, I am the righteousness of God. We said, hang on a minute. Jesus has already won the victory and we can go through verses in the word that tell us that. We need to have the word of God so embedded in our spirit that when it's necessary, we can fish it out and we can use it. The sword of the Spirit. 
there's no clock on the back wall, so I haven't been talking yet. This whole passage is talking about standing against the enemy. I want to tell you a story. I, I kept this story a secret for so many years because I thought people would laugh at me and tell me that I was completely insane. One night we were on the farm. I was on the farm. Anne was at work in Goulburn. I was on our farm at Crookwall. And I heard a noise and I thought, that's weird. That's inside the house. So I got up and walked out of the bedroom and what I saw in my lounge room was frightening if you didn't know Christ. There were books spinning around and around and around in the middle of the room like there was a mini cyclone going on in there. And I sat back there and I'm going, um, this isn't normal. All the stuff that was on the shelves was actually... And I was wide awake. This was not a dream. And I turned around and uh, I said, Lord, I think this is something where... I need you to be involved. And he got involved. Later on, on another time, I was home. Anne was at work. I was just asleep. I was in bed and something woke me up. And I looked up and a demon spirit manifested directly over my bed. As soon as I saw it with my eyes... It jumped on me and started to choke me. And my first reaction is to grab. Do you know what? You can't grab a spirit. How on earth he was able to start choking me, but I couldn't grab him. You go, this isn't fair. It's not a fair fight. And then the word of God leaps out and says, hang on a minute. You take the sword of the spirit. And I just turn around and... The last gasp of air I had, and I just, and it came out as a whisper, and it was, Jesus. And then I got an intake of breath, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And every time I said that name, this thing lost its grip. Do you know what I did then? It went, it disappeared. And I still scratch my head and think, how did I do that? I rolled over and went to sleep. And I rang Anne the next morning and I said to her, weirdest thing happened last night and I still don't, can't reconcile it. I'm not sure if I wasn't dreaming. And Anne said, no, you weren't dreaming because it happened at half past one. And I'm going, how do you know that? And she said, because at half past one, I sat bolt upright in bed, be singing, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord thy God is with thee. We need to have the spirit, the sword of the spirit, the word of God embedded in our hearts so that if we ever have to face a situation 
that is strange, unusual, or straight up an attack of the enemy, we have got the defensive mechanisms here to put into place, but also we can attack the enemy. And that leaves the left arm. On the left arm, they carried the shield. The shield was called the shield of faith. You know, if we walk into battle with faith in our God, then that shield will block and quench every dart that the enemy throws at us. I'm really running out of time to go into that far too, you know, much more, but it is so important that we understand Jesus died on the cross not just to save us from our sins, but he died on the cross to save us for victory, a life of victory. He died on the cross that we can be empowered that as we go through life, that the enemy will not tear us down. The enemy will not defeat us, but that we become a force of power for the kingdom of God. But I'm, I never actually thought about how to finish this off. But I do know that I want to say something. If anyone here is struggling with their faith or coming under attack from the enemy, then I, I really would love to be able to pray with you this morning. So if, as the musicians come up and, and sing a song, I don't know what they've got planned, but if anyone would like prayer... I'm pinched your thing, sorry. Then I invite you just to come forward. I'm sure Jake will come out too, so I'm not that scary, but if you're worried about me, Jake will be there.